Well, good morning, Citygate Church and all of our online guests. Here we are, week number seven on the life of Elisha. And I love Elisha. I think he's a champion. He had a heart for people. And we're going through his life because he lived for other people. And I want to say this year is about, you know, for Citygate Church, living for a cause, which is, of course, the cause of Christ, that we live for others. We live to make other people's lives great. And, of course, we live to lead people to Jesus Christ, to see them receive him as Lord and Savior and receive eternal life. Elisha and Elijah, two very different people. Elisha did twice what Elijah ever did. And there's something about Elisha that said, I'm going to get everything. He said, give me the double portion. I want twice what you've got. But Elisha did everything he could to give what he had to the other people around him. I said this on the first week of this series. I said Elisha led the sons of the prophets for something like 16 years or something. I mean, he invested into these people's hearts in the most amazing way. And I'd like you to turn, please, to this incredible account in 2 Kings chapter 6. We're obviously working through the early part of 2 Kings, where it's, it's this situation with Elisha and the sons of the prophets and we've heard this time and time again about Elisha saying, what can I do for you? How can I give you the favor of God? How can I help you? Whether it's healing his enemy's servant, you know, commander of the army, or whether it's giving a son, you know, causing there to be a conception of a child for somebody who said we're past childbearing age. You know, Elisha is the most incredible um, uh, generous man that you'll find. He just wanted to give and help make other people's lives great. And here we are in 2 Kings chapter 6 from verse 1. It says, And the sons of the prophets said to Elisha, See now, the place where we dwell with you is too small for us. Please let us go to the Jordan and let every man take a beam from the Jordan. Let us make a place where we may dwell. We want to build a new place. So he answered and said, go. And then one said, please consent to go with your servants. And he said, I will go with you. So he, um, he goes to them. They come to the Jordan. They cut down trees, verse 5. But as one was cutting down a tree, the iron axe head fell into the water, into the Jordan. And he cried out and said, alas, master, it was borrowed. I don't own it and I've lost it. So the man of God, Elisha, said, where did it fall? And he, sh and he showed him the place. And so he cut off a stick. He threw it into the Jordan, and as a result, he made the iron axe head float to the top. Therefore, he said, you pick it up for yourself. So this guy, he, um, he stretches down, he gets hold of it, he picks up the iron axe head that should never float, but it floated in the Jordan. That's the most incredible thing. Sometimes you find, you know, outpourings of God in the Bible, they're very spiritual. Sometimes you find them life transforming, healing. Other times it's just God trying to sort out a problem. And here it was a very simple problem. An axe head fell into the Jordan. This guy didn't own it. And God said, I can sort it out. Elisha said, I can sort this out. And as we live for the cause of Christ, there are a lot of situations around us that I believe God wants us to sort out. And I believe we can sort it out with his wisdom, with his word, with his power, with his anointing, with the help of the Holy Spirit, all of those things. And so, you know, in some ways today, I just want to say be prepared for whatever you encounter, because I absolutely know that God is the God of the turnaround. As we think about this today, um, it's very clear Elisha lived to build into other people's lives. He wanted to build. He was all about, what can I build? He wanted to build big people. 
He wanted to build strong people. He wanted to build people that could handle the pressures of life and go through life. He wanted to put into their lives. And here in Citygate Church, and I, and I know everywhere else, we want to build big people. We want to build people who are strong in the Lord, strong in grace, strong in faith, strong in joy, strong in the Lord, the power of his might, strong in the word of God, strong in prayer. We want to build big people. We want to do everything we can to invest into the lives of people. But I want us all to see ourselves that all of us want to build the people around us. Wherever you are, whether it's in work or at home or at school or whatever it is, God wants you to be a builder. Just like Elisha, this, this great attitude of Elisha was not just, I want to build my thing. These guys turn up and they say, we want to go and build somewhere else. And yeah, I'm going ahead of myself a little bit. And he said, yeah, great. I'll come and help you build. He wanted to build big people. I absolutely believe as a church in the 21st century, we must build community influence. Community influence at a time of... Um, Prayer just the other week at one of our prayer meetings. We prayed through all the different spheres of influence in our society, the media, the arts, the government, education, you know, family life, finances, all of these things. We prayed for there to be a godly influence in all of these areas. And I want to encourage you as a Christian, you are somewhere in society and in that place, God wants you to be a person of influence. God wants you to build Influence. Of course, there needs to be a building of credibility. There needs to be a good name. There needs to be that we need to get on with people and not be the weird Christian in the corner of the office or something. Come on. God wants us to build influence in our society and in our world where we are on a daily basis. And I actually believe God wants us to build physical buildings. He wants us to build places to the glory of God. As we look back over the generations, so often people champion the great achievements of the kingdom of God in the previous um, generations, the cathedrals and the things that the church has done. The, look at that. The church did that. Look at that. The church did that. And I believe that God wants there to be cathedrals in the 21st century as well. Not just big church buildings, but things that the church achieves, things that we do, not just a great attitude that we have, but land that we buy, things that we do, you know, um, uh, to bring huge transformation into our world that in the generations to come, if the Lord tarries and doesn't come back in our generation, that, you know, people can look back and say, you know what, in 2021, look what the church did. Why? Because we are fundamentally a kingdom that knows how to build. We are being built and God wants us to build in this world. So, this is the heart of a Christian. I don't want to leave this life in whenever it is, 50 years time or whatever, um, and there isn't anything left that I've built. I don't just want there to be a couple of sermons. I don't just want there to be a few things that have happened. I want to leave a mark on a generation. And I believe God wants that for all of us. It's not just for people who preach and lead churches. Come on, it's for all of us. God wants us to leave an impact from what we've done in our lives, transforming, turning the world upside down, whatever it is you want to say. God wants us to, uh, to, you know, to leave an incredible mark, leave an incredible impression on the generation that we've lived in. So let's just see this heart of Elisha, what happened? He lived on purpose to build people, to build situations and to leave something behind when he went to be with the father. 
The first thing I've got, I don't know, six or seven things here, and it's this. The first thing is this. He was able to see. Elisha, you know, they said to him, these sons of the prophets, they came and said to him, can you see us? They said, see. They said, see, the place is too small. You know, can you see our situation? Can you see our need? And I believe the church in the 21st century needs its eyes wide open. Of course, firstly to God. The Bible says to look at the kingdom of God, to lift your eyes above the darkness. But we need our eyes wide open to the challenges of the generation. What are people going through? Can you see it? Do you know what's going on? I'm not saying fill your head with it, but can you see it? Can you hear the cry of the generation? Can you see... You know, these guys said, the place where we dwell with you is too small. Now, if he'd been an insecure leader, he could have said, ah, you young things, you just, you know, think too big for your boots. I know what I'm doing. This has been the, the problem with the church through the generations that the church fails to change, you know, often fails to move on. And, you know, often as people get older in the ministry, the church becomes more and more irrelevant. I do everything I can. My heart is to be in tune, in touch with the youngest of the generation. Now, perhaps I don't get it, but you know what? The church needs to get it. Um, I want to learn everything I can about what people are going through, even though they're different challenges than what I faced as a teenager. They're different challenges. People are facing different things. And even though perhaps I don't get it and I don't really understand it, the church must be a church that is applicable to a generation and sees the needs of what's going on. Are you still understanding what's going on in the world today? Or are you saying, I wish it was back in the good old days. I wish, you know, in my day it wasn't like that. And of course, we all compare to our own environment, our own upbringing, our own history, our own experience. I get that. But come on, let's keep with the times. Let's see what people, do I take time to see the next generation. The second thing today for an important church that I believe God wants us to, uh, to build and to establish something for the kingdom of God, for, you know, to live for the cause is this, to stretch, to stretch. They said the place, this place is too small for us. Now they could have said this, it's fine for you, Elisha, but it's not fine for us. You know, to change is uncomfortable. It's not easy to change. It's not easy to go from this to that. It's not easy to learn new skills. It's not easy to see things a different way. It's not easy to see things as other people see things. And what it's going to take on the inside is a stretch. Now, I don't know what Elisha felt at this time, but he said, I'll go with you. I'll go with you. You see, these guys are really grateful to Elisha. They said, we want you to go with us and all this sort of stuff. But that would have meant huge life change for Elisha. I don't know how old Elisha was at this time. You know, Sharon and I, we've had to move house a few times. We've had to change a number of times. And each time you have to change because you have to grow. And in order to grow, you've got to change. And that's going to take a stretch. Elisha was prepared to stretch. He said, yeah, I'm up for it. This is great for me, but it's not about me. I'm going to stretch. As a church grows, 
as the kingdom of God forcefully advances, people need to stretch. They need to change. They need to embrace change. Apparently, 60-something percent of people resist change. So I'm always aware, especially as I lead Citygate Church and as people lead situations, when you try to bring in a change, you're going to have about 60% of people resist the change, even if it's a good change. <laughs> this is just life. This is just how it is. People don't like to change. People don't want to stretch. People don't want to embrace something new so often. But you see, if we're going to be the Elishas, we're not threatened by other people saying, come on, we've got to move on. See, so often a church doesn't grow, stops growing and goes backwards because people resist change. And how many times, oh, just the young people want to change everything. Well, you were the young people once. I was the young people once. We wanted to change everything. And I just want to say, you know what? As a church, we've got to be flexible. We've got to be fluid. We've got to change. We don't change the gospel. We don't change preaching. We don't change worship. I'm sorry, absolutely, we change songs. We change environments. But the things of God never, never change. You don't compromise the word of God. But so many other things change. The packaging of church has to change. The packaging of the gospel has to change. How we preach the gospel, you know, back, you know, 30, 40, 50 years ago, perhaps it was tent crusades and, you know, speaking on the street corners. That don't cut it today. So often it doesn't cut it today because people have already got their preconceptions about what people, and those are weird people on the streets. People have, we have to change the packaging. We have to stretch. We have to change how we relate, how we do things. Come on, let's be people who see and let's be people who stretch. What's the next one? In fact, let me just read a passage here from the Message Bible. It says, one day the guild of the prophets came to Elisha and said, you can see this place where we're living under your leadership is getting crap. I mean, if he was insecure, he could have really reacted against this. And he says, we have no elbow room. Will you give us permission to go down to the Jordan and we will build a greater place, a bigger place? I mean, we've got to be secure enough in ourselves to not take things personally, but to grow with the things of God. So the third thing is send today. So we've seen see and stretch, now send. Elisha, he said for them, you go for it. He said, I release you. I release you to go for it. I'm not trying to control you and limit you and restrict you. You see, they were very much respectful and honorable to Elisha. And we find out in the next one that, you know what? They said, we want you to be with us. But his heart was to release people, not to control people and to restrict people, but to release people. And I want to encourage you today to be someone who wants to build up other people and release them. It's quite simple, really. This is how we live for the generation. Let's see other people set free. Let's build into the lives of the other people. Nothing thrills me more to see people fly higher and run faster than I could ever fly or run. Why? I want to see people released into the things of God in the most amazing way. What's the next one? Number four, very simply, as we leave our mark on a generation is this, serve serve. Don't just expect to be served. Now, we all understand that in the kingdom of God, there's people who help, people whose who's, who's whole anointing in their life is to serve the ministry. The ministry of helps, we call it actually, the gift of helps, armor bearers, people who serve people to make it easier on, on other people. And I'm eternally grateful for the people who have said, Pastor Jay, we just want to serve. We just want to help. And some people are really assigned to that. But you know what? 
I never, ever am allowed to, or actually ever desire to relinquish the attitude of a servant. We are all here to serve. What can I do for you is all the way through the Bible. If we want to live for the cause of Christ, never think you outgrow being a servant. The Bible says the greatest in the kingdom is the servant of everybody. Jesus knelt down on the floor, washed people's feet, and yet he was the one who other people should have served him. And they were serving him in that sense. But you know what? There is such an incredible passion in God and in the heart of the church. What can I do for you? How can I serve you? He said, yeah, it's not about me. It's not about all these sons of the prophets serving me. I'm, I'm the man of God. I'm the big man here. I'm the one, you know, that it's all about. No, it's like, what can I do for you? And he was prepared to go with them and serve them and say, I release you. Do whatever it is. Let's make it really practical. How can you serve somebody else? Do you know someone else who's struggling at the moment? How about you make dinners for them for the next few weeks? I don't know. Perhaps somebody hasn't got, I know we got COVID and the masks, so we can't all share cars and all that sort of stuff. But after all this mess, after all this stuff is over, you know, can you serve somebody with your transport? Can you serve somebody with your finances? Can you serve somebody just encouraging them, giving them a phone call and just spending time with them? Can you serve somebody cleaning their house? Can you serve somebody cleaning their car? Can you serve somebody doing their garden? Let's be really practical here. So often we spiritualize everything. Let's be people who make it easier for other people to function. Let's serve. Elisha was like this. What's the next thing? Number five, stay. This is what the heart of Citygate Church is, the heart of the kingdom of God is stay. What do I mean by stay? Elisha stayed with the sons. He had a heart to release, absolutely. But they said, will you stay with us? We want you around us. He said, yeah, I'll stay. He stayed in their lives. He wasn't a distant leader. He wasn't somebody untouchable. He wasn't somebody that you couldn't connect with. Again, you know, we try to make Citygate here. This is not a comparative statement, but we try to make Citygate here a place where people can access people. You know, they don't have to go through 10 people to try to get hold of somebody. And of course, we need to all <laughs> absolutely protect our environments. Otherwise, we'd all be burnt out and drained. But you know what? We're not untouchable people. We're here to stay in the lives of each other. Small groups, stay in the life of people. Be involved with people. Elisha stayed involved in the lives of the people around him. Sometimes Christians can be a little bit aloof, a little bit distanced. A little bit, you know, in your office, you know, you're on your own a little bit. And of course, we don't compromise our standards and the holiness that we are called to live by and things like that. But let's be involved in the people's lives around us. When they go on a Friday night, come on, it's, it's you know, the Friday night up the pub, let's all go. And the Christian says, no, don't believe in that. That's a real problem because we're called to be in there, in relationship with people. You don't have to do everything that people are doing. But come on, guys, let's be involved in the lives of people around us. Jesus, he hung around with the tax collectors and the singers uh, and the sinners. That was the accusation against him. But he was known to be, and he wasn't, but this is his reputation, a, a glutton and a drunkard. They accused him of the very things of the people that he hung around with. And of course, we got to protect the reputation. The Bible says, let there be no appearance of evil. We understand all of that. But at the very heart of it, we got to be in relationship with people. We've got to make friends of people if ever they're going to receive the love of God through our lives. Number six, very quickly. 
um, stand. There will be trouble. You can count on it. If you're going to release people, if you're going to bless people, if we're going to grow big people, there's going to be trouble. People are going to make mistakes. There could be sin. There could be attacks. You know, this guy, a son, a son of the prophet, lost his axe. We can apply that and say, you know, he lost his cutting edge. He was dulled in his life. You could say that. We could make all sorts of analogies here. The Bible says, as iron sharpens iron, um, you know, and don't, uh, it says a sharp axe will, will make work really easy, not a blunt axe, all these sorts of things. And here this guy, he's lost his axe. Now, Elisha didn't condemn him. He didn't, he didn't call him an idiot. He stood with him. He stood with him. You know what? People need to know we're standing with them. When they go through nasty things, we're standing with them. When they're going through problems, we stand with them. When they got sin at the door, come on, we're standing with them. When they drop their axe, their life is blunted. We stand with them. Absolutely. So many times somebody gets it wrong, they're ostracized or they're criticized or they're cast out. They can have, you know, you know, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years of greatness. They do one thing wrong and it's like, oh, you know, they're ostracized. Come on, stand with people. Stand with people. I love the New Testament. I love the whole Bible. But there's that great verse that even when we're faithless, he's faithful. Even when we got it wrong, he sticks with us. Speaking of almighty God, I'm so glad he never leaves me and he does never forsake me no matter what I do or whatever goes on in my life. And let's be people like that in this hurting world. When people are going through it, let's stand with them. If we're going to live for the cause of Christ, it means we're going to stand with people and we're going to walk with people, even if it's through the valley even if it's through the tough times, even if it's getting in the fire with them. Come on, let's partner with people. Weep with those who weep. Mourn with those who mourn. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Stand with people around you. We don't point the finger. I've, I've been spending some time on, on this whole understanding of don't judge. Um, the Bible's really clear that the devil, he's, he's before God day and night accusing people, judging people all the time. And the Bible tells us, do not judge. And so often you hear people say, I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to, you know, be nasty here. I'm not, I'm not saying this to judge. What is it then? It, oh, it's just a strong opinion. Actually, it's a judgment. Come on, let's be honest about it. The Bible says, don't judge. We are not qualified to judge anybody. He is the righteous judge. Heaven forbid that we try to take his place, almighty God's place, and we start to pronounce judgments and accusations against people. Come on, let's be people who stand with people around us. Number seven, very quickly, is this. Speak. He didn't accuse, he didn't point the finger, he just said, where did it go wrong? Had a conversation. Where did it go wrong? What happened? Where did it go wrong? Let's have wholesome conversation with people even when it, you know, they need help or whatever, speak. Where did you drop it? Let's sort this out. Where did it go wrong? Let's bring things into the light in order to put them right. You see, when something goes wrong, so often all the opinions start and the accusations start and the social media posts start. No, let's just go to the person and say, so what happened? <laughs> what happened? What went wrong? As we live for the cause of Christ, we've got to walk in the light as he is in the light. And that means, of course, a holy life, forgiving people. But it also means bringing things into the light. 
Let's have those conversations. What happened? What went wrong? Let's not jump to conclusions. You know, Elisha could have gone, oh, what an idiot, he's lost the axe. You know what, he borrowed it and he's lost it. He didn't do it. He went straight to the person because he heard the cry and said, what happened? How can I help? Number nine, my next S, these are all S's obviously, is secure. I love this. He said, you sort it out. He threw in the stick. Elisha threw in the stick and the iron floated. I mean, he, he did the thing. By the power of God and the anointing of God upon his life, he brought the breakthrough. But he didn't stretch forth and get it and give it to the guy. He said, you pick it up. You carry on where you left off. What did he do? He secured this son, the son of the prophets, in his identity. He said, come on, you can pick up and go again. You can pick up and go again. You can do this. He wanted them to have the victory. He wanted them to say, I got hold of the axe head. I achieved this. You know, that's what big people do. You know, some people, small people want all the attention on them and they want to say, look what I did and look at this axe head and look at this and look at that. But you know what? Great people on the inside want to make other people look great and to be great. And he said, you pick it up, you go for it. Come on, let's just, let's just carry on where we left off. You know what? A generation that we have today so often has lost its identity. Their identity is in comparison. Their identity is in what I look like. Their identity is in comparing themselves with everybody else. Tragically, we're seeing more suicides in the world today, I think, than we've, there's ever been. There almost is a pandemic of suicide, people who cannot handle the stresses and the pressures of life. And it's so often young people, it's absolutely tragic. Online people getting condemned for this and trolled and accused and made fun of and things go viral and, and all of this sort of stuff. And you know what? We've got to be speaking identity into the lives of young people, every age group. You know what? A person gets their identity so much, so strongly from their father figure. And we've got an almighty God who is our father and he gives us our identity. I know who I am in Christ. Whatever you say about me, I know who I am in Christ. Whatever people accuse me of, I know who I am in Christ. God knows me. He's put the rubber stamp upon my life and said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. That was said of Jesus, but that's said of everybody who comes to Christ. You're my son. Today, come on, I'm your heavenly father. Friend, I want to encourage you today to know your own identity, but to make sure you give that same identity to other people. Make them secure. They don't have to be secure in what other people think about them, but they absolutely need to be secure secure in what Almighty God says about their life. Come on, let's build other people up, not in self-confidence, but in a God confidence, which makes them unshakable, which makes them strong on the inside, that no matter what goes on around them, they're strong enough to go through it in Jesus' name. And the last thing today, number 10, is that he, he sowed these people, and this is almost going back to the beginning of the passage, these young sons were people of vision. Why? He'd built them up. He'd sowed into their lives that they saw the bigger picture. I love this. I love this. Elisha helped them to build a new place of vision. 
And I believe, you know, the Bible says without a vision, people perish. Um, the Bible says run with the vision. Write the vision down. Run with the vision. These things are so important. They're so important for someone's life to have vision, to have dream. So many times the church can be criticized for just wanting to build people's hopes. I want to say, I want to do everything I can to build people's hopes. Elisha had, you know, built these guys when they said, we want to build a bigger place. He didn't put them down and said, you're thinking arrogantly. You've got to calm down. You're getting too excited. He said, go for it. Why? He had sowed into their lives the ability to dream big dreams. And I want to encourage you today, number one, to be somebody in your own life who builds and sees big dreams, who builds big environments. You're expecting the best. You're expecting things to be awesome. You know what? You can see the big picture. You're praying big prayers. You're declaring the promises of God. These things are, are growing. They're established. They're built big on your life. But come on, as we spend time with other people, you know, how do other people exit our lives? Do they go away dreaming greater dreams than they ever dreamed before because we've inspired them? Or do they go, you know, away from us thinking, oh, you know what, I need to reduce my expectation. I need to reduce what I think God's going to do because I've just spent time with old uh, gripey, moany person over there who's just brought down my faith, squashed my excitement. Come on, guys, let's be people who have big dreams ourselves. You know, there's somebody, and I can't remember who it was, and on their desk was, think no small thoughts here. Let's dream big dreams. All things are possible to he who believes. Nothing is impossible with our God. Whatever we pray in line with God's word, he's promised, he's committed to, to bringing it to pass. You know what? He, all of his promises are yes and amen. Come on, let's build big dreams. Let's put our hand to the plow. Let's sow abundantly and reap abundantly. Let's, let's pray big prayers and dream big dreams. Have you got the picture? But what about the influence we have on the people around us? Let's encourage others. Let's be contagious with that zeal and that faith and that expectation on the inside that when people leave us, perhaps they spend a day with us or a phone call with us, they leave us feeling like they can kill any Goliath. They can take their head off any enemy. They can lay hold of the things before and Why? That's the effect Elisha had on these sons of the prophets. They said, come on, we're seeing things even far bigger than you are now, Elisha. You've sowed into our lives and here comes the harvest. We're believing God for greater things. You know, King David was the same. He said, I want to build a temple. And God said, no, you can't do that. You've shed too much blood. He said, all right, then I'll draw the plans. I'll make all the instruments. I'll prepare everything. I'll get it all ready. And my son can build it. It wasn't about his own achievements. It was about what could be built as a result of his vision and his life. I'm very, very aware. Not everything I'm dreaming or um, expecting and all the big uh, expectations and the dreams I have are going to be fulfilled in my lifetime, but I'm still dreaming them. Why? Because whoever hangs around me, I want them to get so stirred up with the dream of God that where I stop, they carry on. The baton gets passed on and this thing just grows and grows and grows. I heard somebody say this once, I've got a 500 year vision. And I didn't understand it. I didn't get that at all. I thought, how can you have a 500 year vision? You're only going to live for 100 years or whatever. 
but now I get it. Many years later, I heard that probably 25 years ago, and today I get it. Why? Because we dream far bigger dreams than what we are able to fulfill in our own lifetime or in our own ability. Come on, let's dream big dreams. Let's make a world of difference. Let's live for the cause of Christ in the most exciting, faith-filled, compassionate way we can, investing our lives into the generation around us, into the people around us. Why? Because the kingdom of God is forcefully advancing through the generations and we're going to take our place in that in Jesus' name. I hope you got something out of that today. I'm quite stirred about that. I, I just love this stuff. I live and breathe, you know, what God wants to do in a generation. But friend, I want to ask you today, and it comes down to often to this one question, in fact, every time, to this one question. Have you said yes to Jesus Christ? Is he your personal Lord and Savior? Have you repented of your sin? Have you said, Jesus, I need you in my life? Perhaps you don't understand it all. Perhaps you don't know if there's a God or not. Have you prayed a prayer like this? God, if you're there, please speak to me. I want to know. Jesus, if you're real, if you died on the cross, I want to know that in my own life. I prayed a prayer like that probably 35 years ago now, 36, 37 years ago now. And I can remember I stood in a service at the Fairfield Halls in Croydon. I said, God, if this is real, I want to know now. This is the only opportunity I'll ever give you with my life. It's the sort of attitude I had at the time. And God, you know, the Bible talks about opening our eyes and this sort of stuff. And I could see what I'd never seen before. And the love of God hit me like a ton of bricks and set me free. Friend, I want to ask you today, have you received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? You can say, how do I do that? You pray a prayer. It's, the, it's a whole life's journey of building and developing, but you start it today by praying a simple prayer. We spoke last week about keep it simple. You pray a simple prayer that receives Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Why don't you pray this prayer with me now? Out of your mouth, actually speak it out online while we're doing this. Come on, why don't you say this? Heavenly Father, thank you that you love me. Thank you that you've demonstrated your love through sending your son to die on the cross to give me life. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. I receive you today as my Lord, my Savior, and my friend. I turn away from the way I've lived apart from you. And by the help of your grace and your power, I will never be the same again. I receive eternal life. Friend, if you've prayed that prayer, like many thousands of people have probably across the world today in so many churches, the Bible says you've been born again. You've received eternal life. You can now call Almighty God, the creator of heaven and earth, your heavenly father. Of course, there's going to be other steps. We're going to encourage you to get a Bible and to, and to join a church, get involved in a church somewhere. If you're anywhere near Southeast London, we'd love to see you here in Citygate. But there are churches everywhere. So there'll be a church where you fit, where it's, you know, a connection heart to heart. And, and you know what? I, I believe God's got his absolute best for your life. The Bible says one, one you know, passage in the Bible, you've saved the best until now. God's best for your um, whole life is to know God to hear his voice, to be led by his spirit, to live the Christian life with a whole heart in all its fullness. Well, God bless you, everybody online today. Come on, let's go and help make some 
big people out there, build big dreams. And uh, I'll see you next week. Do everything you can this week to help make somebody else's life great. God bless you. See you next week.